0: Forti Dos New York Nick Podcast, Andre Galiber, a lot on the docket today, starting with this Randall interview with Paul George. And first of all, I think Paul George does a great job. I think, I think he did a great job in that interview. He comes off as, sometimes these interviews come off as a little too uh, familiar, a little too relaxed, uh, and you want some of that. You don't want it to be stuffy. But you know, it's not. It's more of a filming of a conversation than an actual interview, and there's a place for that too. That can be entertaining as well. But it's nice to have a combination of both. To have you know, to learn more about the person, uh, especially in the NBA context, to learn more about the player, uh, ask tough, ask some of the questions that everybody wants to hear and wants to know, but also have you know some. Some nice little banter, player banter, and and some funny jokes or whatever. To have a nice combination of the two, Paul George does that. I feel and I think sometimes the other players, it's just it. it sometimes it's like propaganda. It's like they're just there to to promote the other guy and whatever agenda he has. And I think it's uh, sometimes it's that, and sometimes it's just too much conversation as opposed to actually learning something about the player uh, and stories are always good. I think Paul George walks that line pretty good. He's not the only one, but I think he does that uh, does a pretty good job with that. Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson do a good job with that. And knuckleheads do a good job with that as well. Uh, obviously JJ and his podcast, but I really Paul George kind of came out of nowhere with this and all these guys did, but he kind of came out of nowhere as a, as a, and I saw him say that he's not very outspoken in the media and you know, he, really not that guy that has a lot to say so to have him coming from that place do this podcast and be so good at it was pretty was pretty impressive to me and I thought he did a good job with the Randall interview I would have asked a couple questions that he didn't ask I'd have been a little bit more I'd have made Julius be a little bit more specific a few times uh, without, you know, without, obvious, you know, trying to get him in trouble, et cetera. But I thought he did a pretty decent job. And to the point, Julius did a good job presenting himself, representing himself in this interview as well. I feel like you have to be a real jaded, hateful Nick fan to watch that interview and not feel good about Julius Randle being on your team. Not to say that he all his answers were perfect, and we're going to get into that too. But when you're a fan watching the games, all you see of Julius is what you see on the court. You see some post-game interviews, but you don't really see him, you know, his post-game interviews aren't very revealing in any way. He has his game face on still. A lot of times in those interviews, you can tell that he's a different person around his friends and familiar company than he would be in front of the media, which is perfectly understandable. So you kind of got... Uh, a, a peek into who he is a little bit more in this interview than you probably ever have before. The biggest takeaway I had from this interview,
1: right off the bat, I'm going to tell you Julius Randle ain't getting traded. Write it down, it ain't happening. And that's consistent with everything you've heard
0: from Nick beat writers like Steve Popper. Uh, Ian Begley, guys along those lines, they have told you that Julius Randle is
1: entrenched with this front office and this organization, and there ain't no way they're trading. Uh, again, it's not impossible. They released part of their schedule, and
0: he's on some of their marketing document documentation. I think
1: that the organization knows. More about the Julius Randall that you saw in that interview. They know him more in a personal sense, and seeing him in
0: the you know in the gym and interpersonal relationships, kind of what you saw in the interview. They know him more like that than they
1: know him just for his mistakes on the court and his missteps on the court. And
0: some of his missteps on the court are. Put under a microscope, whereas other guys around the league, they're ignored by Nick fans because Nick fans aren't watching anything but their highlights. right? Guys like Jason Tatum and things that he, he did wrong in the playoffs. And again, Jason Tatum's a much better player, but things that he did wrong in the playoffs or Jalen Brown did wrong in the playoffs, nobody here is thinking about it.
1: But their fan base is... Their fan base fed up with some of their some of their performances. Jason Tatum, less so than Jalen Brown.
0: Jimmy Butler, all world, all world. And then he had some bad games in the finals where people didn't know what he was doing and threw the game away a couple times. And I'm sure the Miami he still loved Jimmy Butler, but it's it's a little bit different taste in their mouth. Bam out of bio, same thing. These guys have flaws too. And I'm not saying Julius Randle is better than these guys or even on their same level. But you're looking at Julius Randle under a microscope that you're not looking at other players under. And listen, it's not made up. He is, I said it before, he is the worst of um, amongst active player, players in the playoffs. He has the
1: worst field goal percentage. During the regular season, he led the league in turnovers down the stretch. These are facts. These are just facts. But I do think that people look at Julius
0: Randle in a position that maybe he shouldn't be in, and that's a one or a two. And Julius Randle, he probably sees himself as a two, but I think Julius Randle, and he said it in this interview, he may not have meant it, who knows. But he said it in the interview that he's better when he's around a better player. He's better when he's around a better player. And now he has a Jalen Brunson, but he's still getting double teamed. And I think that's really the problem with Julius Randle is that Julius Randle needs to be the third option at best. Maybe he doesn't see it that way, but he needs to be the third option at best. And you may see see the best of Julius Randle when he is the third option on your team. Because the second option, he's still double teamed and the Knicks just don't have the personnel to to, uh, take advantage of those double teams. Space to floor properly, off conceptually, offensively, not good enough. And the players in their production around, around the horn, not good enough. We talked about that ad nauseum. But you can make Julius Randle the best version of himself, even in the playoffs, if you have another player to take attention away from him. And at $25 million a year, or, or right around there, what he's making, that is a bargain to get that version of Julius Randle. It's a bargain to get this version of Julius Randle in the regular season. It's just not a bargain in the playoffs. So for the Knicks to trade him at that number, when he could be that—I mean, he's—he's he's All NBA when he when he can be that good as your third option. That's at twenty at twenty right around twenty-five million dollars a year. That's a win. You can see the the contracts guys are getting. Bradley Beal got, got traded. He's making going to be making like fifty million dollars a year. And you're getting all NBA talent, and he could be your third best player. That's what the Knicks need to be focused on. That's what they need to be focused
1: on. Not focused on trading a guy who could be of value at where he is, at the number he is, and better if you improve players around him,
0: as opposed to trading him at less than his value for a player that might not be much better than he is at the end of the day because you're not going to get a better player with Julius Randle like how much you got to give with Julius Randle to get a player that's better than him that doesn't have any any flaws he may not have Julius Julius Randle's flaws but he got other ones and I talked about that with Cat like Cat at power forward yeah the Knicks are better but how much better are they they are better there's no question but are they so much better with Cat at power forward that it's worth Julius Randle and the zillion picks you got to send with them? Because Julius Randle's not carrying a lot of value in that trade. Most most teams don't see most teams see Julius Randle the same way you see him because they're looking at the same things you're you're looking at. They're watching Stephen A. Smith go nuts on TV all the time. See, why why are we gonna rest our hopes and and dreams on Julius Randle? when they don't even want him in New York, they're not paying top dollar for him. You're not going to get all NBA value for Julius Randle, and you're probably going to get a guy who's making $30, $40 million a year to replace him. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. And I feel more confident about that now watching that interview, and maybe that's just being reactionary. I feel more confident about that after the interview because Julius Randle seems to have a little bit more self-awareness than we assume I just think he's not he's he's just not good enough to do some of the things that Nick fans want him to do, but I think he's good enough to do what he does if you rely on him less and i and I think that's okay at his numbers that's okay at twenty five million dollars that's okay if he was making forty million dollars that's different. And that's why you need to be hesitant when it comes to some of these big names. That's why Phoenix might have egg on their face trading from Bradley Beal because there are a lot of things that Bradley Beal doesn't do well. So because of those things that he doesn't do well, you may not be good enough to win a championship. I understand you're putting together an all-star team, but you may not be good enough to win a championship because Bradley Beal has his own flaws as a player. And at $40 million a year, Having those flaws can keep you from bringing in another player who can maybe, can maybe make up for those flaws.
1: complement the offensive aspects of his game and other guys' games and pick up where they leave off. Plug in the holes. But because he makes so much money, you can't do that.
0: That's the advantage of having some of these guys at the numbers you have them at. Brunson. Randall, the numbers you have them at. That's why this next move is so important for the Knicks, because you don't don't just bring in a guy that has a different set of problems to replace the guys that you have. And then they're at bigger numbers. So when you fail, like the teams that they're coming from have failed with them, you can't go anywhere with it. You can't do anything with it. You end up trading them like you trade KP for salary cap relief and trading them like you traded Bradley Beal for relative peanuts. And it brings, it puts in perspective some of the negative things that he said in the interview, like not being a film guy.
1: No, huh? what? No. What a shocker. Like, I probably said that during the year. Like, there's ain't no way that Julius Randle's watching
0: film. There's no, listen, and it's a relative statement. I see people making excuses for him, saying, oh, he's saying he doesn't watch it that much. Like, shut up. He said he's not a film guy. He's not a film guy. You have to, every NBA player has to watch film because it's part of, you know, they have to watch it together. He's saying he don't watch it on his own. It ain't a surprise to me. It shouldn't be a surprise to you because if Julius Randall watched film, then he wouldn't do some of the things that he was doing. (laughs) It's as simple as that. He just wouldn't do it. Just wouldn't do it. He'd be like, oh, wait, when I penetrate and kick out and... And my teammate attacks the closeout. If I back up to the three-point line, maybe I'm open for a shot. Instead of just standing here staring at him when he drives in the basket and watching my man go and triple team him and he don't have an outlet. Maybe if I did that, maybe, maybe if I watch Golden State's offense and see why it works so well. You know, maybe if I watch Miami's offense and see why it works so well. So well i can I can understand where I can get more shots from myself or more shots for my teammates instead of just meandering around watching people do stuff and letting my guy clog the paint. You know these guys are playing me this way, so I have this shot right here every single time. Let me just work on getting this shot up. He's out there like a babe in the woods half the time, and again overstated to a degree because. It's not like he's a terrible basketball player. It's not like he doesn't try to make adjustments. You saw some, some minor adjustments in the Miami series. It just wasn't enough. You know Julius Randle's a hard worker. He's in impeccable shape every season. And even though, again, you, you see him taking plays off and all that kind of stuff, I think a lot of players do that. Let's just be honest. And you wish he didn't. He's, he will let people make layups in front of him. Like, I hate it. We all hate it. We all have talked about it. We've seen it. But he's in in impeccable shape. He plays almost every game, you know. Give him give him credit for that. But he said he's gonna he's attacking the off season de- uh, differently
1: because he's hurt. So that means he's gonna watch more film. That's what he said. He's gonna watch more film. He's gonna have
0: a, a more intellectual approach to the off season because he can't go out there and work. You know, maybe he'll have a better plan for the off season off of this which is what he intimated. He also talked about working on trying to be more efficient, which was, hey, listen, his, his regular season was decent efficiency. He was a high-volume three-point shooter, wasn't a great shooter percentage-wise, a little tick below league average, but a high-volume guy. But it was ebbs and flows of efficiency with him from the three-point line. He would get hot. You know, that kind of streak shooting is just, uh, just not going to cut it against better teams. You have to be more consistent on your catch-and-shoot opportunities. He doesn't get a ton of catch-and-shoot opportunities and doesn't utilize. He doesn't take advantage of those opportunities when he gets them. He tends to hold the ball when he has catch-and-shoot opportunities. doesn't attack closeouts. But he talked about maybe watching film and looking at, you know, how, how other players, better players, improve their efficiency. Nick, like mentioned Jimmy Butler and how Jimmy Butler went from, you know, shooting 45, 46% to shooting over 50%. That kind of self-awareness is a valuable quality to me. You know, juxtapose that with Carl Anthony Towns, and you know, I had a whole show on Carl Anthony Towns, but I told you there were some intangibles with him. There was some off-court stuff that I just didn't like about him. And then you see his Paul George interview he, or not the Paul George interview. I think it's the Pat Beverly interview, where he's talking about how he's going to change the game, change the game, change the game. People talking about people going to talk about me and how I changed the game. What? You know, they just just the just the confidence level on one hand is a benefit to any player, but it has to be some sort of rationale to it, and for you to be talking yourself
1: up like that. It's just something to me there's something off about a player who talks himself up all the time. Publicly.
0: If you need to pep talk yourself, that's one thing. But if you're trying to tell people how great you are all the time, it's just something off about that to me. Why would anybody be talking about how you changed the game? Like what are you do- what do you think that you're doing that's that's gonna change the game that nobody's ever seen before? You think you're the first guy to take one dribble from three point line and take two big steps? Like, what, you the first guy doing that? You know what? I, th- I think, you know what? I think a lot of people don't know that Ralph Sampson existed, by the way. Random thought. Because when Benyana, Yama kind of reminds you, if you knew Ralph Sampson, he kind of reminds you of Ralph Sampson, who was a super tall, athletic, big, who was besieged by injuries. Of course, he wasn't a three-point shooter because nobody was a three-point shooter back then. But he was a very talented offensive player, very agile seven three guy, I think. I think his height was somewhere around there. Very agile, very long, had a nice little mid range jump shot, could handle the ball. You know, obviously I'm not when Benyama is supposed to be all world and he's a little bit taller, I believe, has three point range, has great defensive skills. But in terms of agility and athleticism, Ralph Sampson is just not talked about enough in his prime, right? He was basically a taller Akeem Olajuwon. So guys like Cats talking about, they're going to change their day. I changed the game. People are going to say, I changed the game. What are you talking about? And I just don't think that that's not a Nick type player. That's not a New York type player. You can have a brash guy who, you know, who's confident on the court. But you want a guy that has enough wherewithal to get in front of a microphone and not say crazy stuff like that. New York will appreciate, and I think people in general appreciate a guy who gets in front of a microphone and says, "You know what? I can do this better. I think I can improve here. I want to get better." Bob, like, like that's that's what Julius did. And Julius is not the Julius is not the most media savvy fan, New York fan, savvy player there's ever been by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that he can look at himself and say, yo, I was wrong here. He made a comment about thumbs down. First lesson I learned, don't do thumbs down. (laughs) Don't ever do that. You know, he learned, he's not out here making excuses for himself saying, hey, you know, I have my reason why, you know, I stand by what I did. Like, he's not stupid enough to do that that gives me, personally, that gives me some hope for Julius Randle because he's obviously a good dude. You know, he's been with his wife since college, which I didn't know, which you hardly ever see that. I shouldn't say hardly, but you don't see it that often, that a guy sticks with the same person from, from college on. You know, he seems like he's a family guy. He's giving you no indication otherwise. You've heard nothing but good things out of him in terms of how he engages with his teammates but you see things on the court that you don't like. He even mentioned in an interview that he lets his emotions get the better of him sometimes. You know, he's he's being self-deprecating and he's telling you that he needs to improve. He's telling you that he wants to improve. He's saying that he wants to learn from Jimmy Butler and learn from, learn from other guys who are more efficient and more effective.
1: He just falls short. But you can get with that. Like, you can, you can... I'm not going to say you hit your wagon
0: to to him necessarily, but you can have that guy in your wagon because that's going to be nothing but good. Him and Tibbs have a relationship because he kept coming back at night working and Tibbs was still working himself. Why would you not want that guy on the team? Why would you want to trade that guy for the guy who's done nothing essentially in his career, but be, you know, he's been a good offensive player. But there's been a zillion good offensive players. Some guys that some of you never even heard of were good offensive players. you got to be more than that. you got to win. you got to be a defensive player. you got to be a two-way player. you got to step up when your team needs you the most. But, but this guy doesn't even think he needs to get better. At least publicly from his comments in, ter- in terms of Cat. He doesn't even think he needs to get better. He thinks he's going to change the game. Like, yeah, I, I'm 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 great. I'm confident. I'm gonna give these guys. He was talking about how in high school he knew he could come into the league and and work cats. Like, that's what you knew in high school, my boy. I think in the game he scored like six points. I think he said he scored, he didn't score that many points, but he knew he had it. Like, come on, man. Maybe I'm nitpicking. I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna hitch my wagon to that guy. I really don't. I I, I just don't think he's. He thinks he's built from New York. He's from the area, but he's not. That's why some guys who
1: are from New York are not the best New York Knicks. And that brings us to the next story. Obi Toppin. There's an
0: audio leak out there where it was apparently could be fake. It could be nonsense. Apparently, he got into a verbal altercation with Tibbs after one of the Miami losses. There were rumors that there was a fight, player and coach fight. Argument I should say after one of those Losses so that's consistent There's this audio leak that comes Within hours of news That Obi Toppin and the Knicks have agreed to Essentially part ways essentially I don't know how much of that has been Confirmed but it does seem like It has some legs And It's a complicated Thing. Obi's a New York Kid. He was one of the first draft picks Of this regime. He has not Really gotten a fair shot to play because he's behind Randall. Uh, He hasn't gotten a fair shot to play because Randall doesn't always play well. And Obi has a quick hook, even when Randall doesn't. And you can definitely criticize Tibbs for some of that. But then when Obi does play, even though he puts up some good numbers sometimes, he ain't always consistent in what he does. He's not always the best decision maker. He's not always... He doesn't always have good second-level IQ when he beats his first guy. He kind of throws the ball at the rim sometimes. And I think, I think some of that is just a lack of comfort. I think that he's a more of a rhythm player. I think he gets better the more he plays. And he's in a situation where he's not going to play much. And I think Tibbs has been very rigid with him in how he uses him. And I think that's one of Tibbs' flaws. I think guys who work as hard as Tibbs does can – can be very, very stubborn to the when it comes to the conclusions that they come to. I think Kobe was like that too. As much as everyone loves Kobe and, and the competitor he was and the hard worker he was, Kobe was very famous for saying, you know, I I come to practice early and leave practice late. Why am I gonna pass to the guy who comes to practice late and leave practice early?
1: Why would I why would I trust him? And I think guys who work really, really hard have that have that
0: issue where they're not going to listen to someone that they know didn't work as hard as they did on the subject. But sometimes, you know, just because you don't, someone else doesn't know all the things that you know, they might know one thing that you don't. It doesn't mean they know more than you. It just might be one thing that you didn't consider. So you got to consider everything. And I think tips can be stubborn. Sometimes he loosened up a little bit, but I think he could be stubborn. Sometimes I think tips should have, I think he should have played the small ball ball lineup a little bit more. I understand why he didn't play it, but I think he should have played it a little bit more. I think Tip should have have tried Obi Toppin as small forward a little bit more at the same time. And I think he should have just played Obi more than he played him, whether Randall was playing well or not. Randall didn't have to play all of those minutes. Uh, And I think Obi had a different skill set that sometimes was a benefit to the players on the floor. And it would have been more of a benefit if he played them more. At the same time, I think Obi Toppin, although he's gotten better at a lot of things, namely shooting, I think Obi Toppin has the best intentions defensively, but still gets mixed up on his rotations. Uh, still doesn't play good enough physical basketball, the power forward position, but you can see he tried. He tried to get better. He sacrificed his runouts, which was his bread and butter offensively, and would excite his own teammates and excite the crowd. He sacrificed those runouts so he can be a better defensive rebounder. You know, he's, uh, has, he has a lot of effort defensively. He has a, a, lot, of, a lot of drive when he's on the court, self-motivation,
1: which is a struggle for a lot of guys A lot of energy But he's mistake prone And It's tough If he's going to be playing behind Julius and the
0: Knicks are Tied to Julius The way they have been For all the reasons we talked about in All year long and in this show and others Whether they should or shouldn't be Is not ready to debate you, you can't say that Obi Toppin Has shown that he could be a replacement for Julius Randle. You've shown that Obi Topic can put up numbers in random regular season games, sure, and he can be a benefit sometimes. But you've also seen that he's not necessarily a starter, power starting power forward for a contending team. And someone can say, "Well, neither is Randle," but at least Randle can say he's all NBA, right? So it's. I would say that it's a unique situation in the sense that yes, Randall has holes in his game, but you can't just pull up pull up the random games that Obi started and look at his numbers and say, well, he can replace Julius because he he doesn't do the things that Julius does. And if he had to play as much as Julius does, Julius talked about in his, in his interview, you know, when he was playing with AD, life was easy, but once. AD wasn't there, and once he was the main guy, things got real difficult. All of a sudden he had two and three guys coming at him. Not to say that Obi's gonna get all of that, but all of Obi's tendencies are going to be focused on by the opponents if they know that he's going to be playing big minutes and he's gonna be counted on. Obi has never experienced that, and that's what so many of you don't understand. It can be easy or for a talented player to randomly put up numbers it could be easy for a talented player to put up numbers in a regular season but when teams start focusing on you and taking things away the things that you do well that's when there's a separation between the men and the boys that's when you understand what you have in a player and the Knicks haven't gotten that far with obi be topping mostly because of their own doing and, and how they play them but the reality remains the same. They don't really know what they have OB in Obi Toppin. You think you know because you've seen flashes, and I'm telling you, I've seen the same flashes you've seen, and I still see significant holes in his game. Too many holes to say that he should be the starting power forward on this team or any other. 20 minutes a game? Sure. Absolutely. But he's averaging 15 minutes a game for the Knicks. So that's what we are fighting over? Another five minutes? Of course not. You're fighting on, fighting over, putting him out there and actually seeing what you have. But the Knicks are not in that position right now. They're not in a position to just put Ob out there and see what he has. You think that you've already seen it. And I'm telling you, you haven't. Because quiet is kept. We saw with IQ. Why was IQ so ineffective in the playoffs? It's because they were taking away the things that he did well. IQ likes to come off that screen to his right hand every single time. He doesn't. He hardly ever goes left. They took it away, and he wasn't as good. He wasn't as good. IQ needed to adjust. I'm not ready to give up on IQ, but he needed to adjust. They took away what he did well. And, and the Knicks got very little out of him offensively in the playoffs, and it killed them. It killed them. Everybody's talking about Julius Randle and this guy and that guy, RJ, blah, blah, blah. IQ gave the Knicks nothing offensively. Almost the entire playoff run stands a game here or there. I think towards the end of the Cavs series, he had a a decent game, a couple decent games. IQ needed to beat 15 points per game, five rebounds, five assists, or or, or whatever he was in the regular season from December 20th. That put him in a six-man-of-the-year position. He wasn't playing in no six-man-of-the-year candidate he wasn't playing like that in the playoffs he had like a random good game against the Cavs I think and he was a little bit more aggressive in the Miami series but you weren't getting everything that you got out of IQ
1: in the regular season they took it away they took it away and that's what you're going to see from Obi Toppin Obi has
0: relegated himself to shooting outside threes and I'm not blaming him for that because I think he's improved on it that game one of uh, the Miami series where everybody tears him down for going four for eleven and then they praise Gabe Martin for going uh, five for twelve.
1: Like, come on, man. Y'all y'all gotta pull it together. You really did. You really do. Him and Gabe Vincent essentially shot the same
0: fig- the same percentage in that game. Whatever it ended up being. And one of Obi's shots was like uh end of the quarter heave. And to this day, people still talking about him going four for eleven. Like you don't know what four for eleven is, man. You don't know how decent a shooter you are to go four for eleven. That's what I mean about fans being fans of their team and not fans of the league.
1: I Obi Toppin did not shoot a good percentage this year. He had a he got hurt and then he got, had a, a nasty dry spell
0: when he came back. But I, I was perfectly fine with Obi shooting threes because if you watch the NBA, that's what guys do. They, they, if they're open, you shoot. And if you're capable of hitting that shot, they will respect your three enough to open the court up for everybody else. And Obi was excellent at relocating offensively, even when he found himself in the paint. He would relocate. I detailed that in the show during the season, Him, him desperately relocating to the three-point line constantly. So all of that, him shooting so many threes, that's a criticism that I feel like Some of some of you Nick fans have that is a little bit too archaic. But his shot selection can be poor sometimes. He needs to put the ball on the floor, and he doesn't always get good offense when he puts the ball on the floor. I think he has more ability when he puts the ball on the floor than what you've seen. But I think a lot of players in the NBA have more ability than what you've seen because the reason why you don't see it is because they get shook when they're in the game. When that defense comes at them, all of them tricks you see they're doing and on those cones in the summer and in the YMCA. You don't see that in the NBA. They don't have those, they don't have that kind of NBA skill. They got pickup game skill. They got cone game skills.
1: Maybe OB can translate that to the NBA one day, but we haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. All of this to say is the truth is somewhere in the middle. There's a saying,
0: "Don't throw good money after bad." The Knicks shouldn't have, shouldn't have drafted Obi Toppin. It doesn't mean that it was a mistake necessarily. I mean, I guess it was, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that point. All right, they should have drafted Halliburton. That's
1: neither here nor there. Everybody misses on picks, and that's why I say that it's not necessarily a mistake. It's that Obi
0: Toppin may have more talent and skill than you have seen, if you're not an OB lover, or if you're just objective, he may never be much better than what you've seen. Or he may be as good as some of you OB lovers think he's going to be. But it doesn't mean Tibbs is a bad coach because he hasn't played him. And it doesn't mean that he should be the starting power forward on the Knicks. And it doesn't mean you should just let him walk away for nothing if you're not a big fan of his. It doesn't mean you just give him away because you're
1: not a big fan of his. The truth is somewhere in the middle. I'd like personally, I'd like OB to stay. But I know that the Knicks would be a better team if they had a a better backup to Julius Randle. That's just the truth. It's just the truth. That doesn't mean that you can't improve anywhere else.
0: But you can be better at the backup position to OB, to, to Julius Randle than Obi Toppin. Because if if Obi Toppin's role is just going to be some variation of what he's been here so far, the Knicks are limited when he's on the floor, which means that Randle has to play more. Now, maybe Randle's going to play as much as Randle plays anyway, because that's just the way Tib, op, Tibbs operates. That argument can be made. Put a better... Decision maker behind Julius Randle. When Julius Randle got hurt, I talked about who was going to replace him. I thought they would play small more. I thought they would put RJ there more, even though he's a weak. uh, He's not very physical in how he plays defensively. and He got better at it. He's not a big time rebounder. I thought they would play small more. Josh Hart, even though he's a smaller, you know, he's only 6'4" against smaller power forwards or perimeter-based power forwards, he can play
1: just fine. Uh, I think those two options at power forward are better than Obi Toppin. And I'm not an
0: Obi hater, and I can can acknowledge Obi's potential as a player and tell you that I think those guys are better options. Because on the floor, they make better decisions across the board. Even R.J., at his not, not going to say at his worst because we detailed in an episode how bad RJ really was and Obi
1: Toppin was better than him on the court. But but RJ at playoff RJ, Josh Hart, I, I
0: truly believe that they were better options at backup power forward than Obi Toppin can be.
1: And the only reason why Obi Toppin would be better is because he could be a more consistent outside shooter. It doesn't mean
0: that Obi's terrible. It doesn't mean that I'm disrespecting the things that Obi does. It just means they're more dynamic in their decision making offensively, primarily, because RJ's
1: not a great defensive player, then Obi Toppin's gonna be. You can take away things that Obi does
0: fairly easily. And you can say that about Josh Hart, in which we detailed a zillion times how Josh Hart's and his lack of shooting hurt the Knicks. But Josh Hart, you know, he led the league in getting rebounds and going coast to coast. Josh Hart is going to make good passes. He's going to penetrate and finish and find a way, find a way to get the ball on the rim or get to the free throw line. Here you have Toppin, Topping with the, who could jump through the roof, but every time he goes to the basket, he screams and throws the ball at the rim because he doesn't give any variation to how he approaches. He's not going to give you any floaters. He's not going to get contact. He's not going to decelerate. You know, he's not going to Eurostep. He's not going to do any of that stuff. And these are things that he if he had been doing them, then this would be an even harder decision. And oh, Obi Toppin's Euro stepping cats when he attacks the closeout. Oh, Obi-Obi Toppin decelerated and, and got the foul and, and won. Nah, it's every time Obi just goes to the basket and jumps in the air and throws it off and throws it up. Like it, that's That's what makes me believe the Knicks are not it's not the end of the world if they move him. Sometimes you can be less talented and just a better decision maker and get farther when it
1: comes to winning. Could be less. Look at who would you rather have, Bruce Brown or Obi Toppin? If you're trying to win a championship next year, not, and
0: this is another mistake that people make, not who has the biggest future,
1: who has the most potential. If you're trying to win a championship next year, who do you want, Bruce Brown or Obi Toppin? You want Bruce Brown, my boy? You want Bruce Brown? Bruce Brown's hitting three pointers
0: now? Like, you wanted Bruce Brown even when he wasn't hitting threes. You wanted Bruce Brown over Obi Toppett. And that's what I mean. Because a comparison, if you're going to compare Bruce Brown to a guy, is going to be to a guy like Josh Hart. That's the comparison. I mean, Josh Hart was terrible shooting the ball. We know that. But Josh Hart throughout his career has not been a terrible three point shooter. He's been an average three point shooter for most of his career. What in the world happened for him to go from being an above average three point shooter with the Knicks prior to the playoffs to a guy who was clinking the ball at the bottom of the backboard? Who knows? And that's a little scary. But if we're going to make a comparison in a vacuum, Bruce Brown, Josh Hart, that's a comparison. So if you are a basketball, an average basketball fan, you know that if you want to win a championship next year, you'd rather have Bruce Brown than Obi Toppin. There's nothing that Obi Toppin has shown you that tells you that he's a better option for a championship contending tender with a rot- in the rotation, that he's a better option than Bruce Brown. There's nothing he's showing you. You can say that he's, he's going to be good but there's nothing he's shown you. I don't care how many points he put up in a random game in a regular season. He has shown he has not shown you to be the dynamic decision maker on both ends of the floor that Bruce Brown is or even a Josh Hart is. And that's why I say in a big spot, if I need somebody to back up Julius Randle, I'd rather have somebody who's a Bruce Brown or a Josh Hart and even an R.J. Barrett just because he has a, a, from an offensive standpoint. I'd rather have that. That doesn't mean that I dismiss the potential of Obi Toppin and what he could be. I don't. I just think it's a conundrum. And and if Obi Toppin is unhappy, if Obi Toppin wants to spread his wings, it's probably not going to happen here. And you can kick and scream and you can say, oh, they need to trade Julius. Okay, we talked about that. Oh, they need to fire Tibbs. Okay, you can fire Tibbs. And I can tell you 100% that Knicks are still going to struggle In the playoffs, if Obi Toppin is a similar player than he's that he's been the last two years, tell me he's going to be better. Fine, but if you watch Obi Toppin play in all those games, he put up all those points. He's hitting outside shots. He's scoring in transition. He's scoring. He's scoring running the floor. Beautiful, beautiful plays. Don't get me wrong, but he's not. You're not going to Obi Toppin and having him face up one of the better defenders on a post defenders or, or or front court defenders on the other team. And getting two points. That's not how Obi Toppin is getting his points. Okay, that's the difference. That's not how Obi's getting his points. Right now, you have to say Obi Toppin is Aaron Gordon without the defense, and Aaron Gordon without the defense wasn't exactly he got paid, but he wasn't exactly a building block for a championship team. That's why he got traded,
1: so that he could be a defensive stopper and a part-time offensive player for a championship team. Now you don't let if if that's his ceiling, and let's say I think that's a decent comparison.
0: Aaron Gordon is a much better defense be, defensive player than Obi Toppin is. Much stronger, much more physical. So you're talking about you're talking about the offensive relative ceiling of Aaron Gordon at his best when he was in Orlando, which was like a part time consistent player who could put up points, right? He got traded to be a role player, stepped up in Jamal Murray's absence, but they didn't win anything. But if you know Aaron Gordon's game, he's a sometimes-y shooter. He's a sometimes the offensive player. He's much more composed and efficient than Obi Toppin has shown himself to be, who rushing, tends to rush his opportunities, who tends to, to not be prepared for help defenders, et cetera, et cetera. And that might come with more reps. But Aaron Gordon might be his offensive ceiling, which is a, a nice NBA player, but Aaron Gordon is just a guy floating around in the ether without his defensive abilities. He's just another guy who can score points in the NBA without without his abil- defensive abilities. That's all he is. And that's not a player who's valued by championship teams. That's a player who might get paid and, and make a good living for himself, and that, I'm sure Obie is very much concerned with that. But... If you're trying to win, you need a guy who is a defensive player who, if that's his offensive ceiling, you need to play a lot more defense. Or you're just a guy out there who can just put points on the board. And he's not even a guy who can, you can just go to and get points from. He's never shown himself to be that guy. He's been a guy who has, like I said, who has scored off of, he's been a beneficiary, not a creator. He's not a producer offensively. He benefits from getting himself open which is a skill running the floor hustle that's all skill but when you're not a defensive player that's that's not the same plus for a team that's trying to win you got to be a defensive player if you're doing that if you're just going to be an offensive player you got to be way more efficient and way more skilled at all three levels than he is
1: not saying he can't be that guy But he's not that guy now. So who knows what this trade looks like.
0: I am very much uncomfortable with just trading him for a random late round first round pick. Very uncomfortable with that. You want to talk top 15? Okay. And I'm not saying this. I'm not even talking about what he's worth. I'm just saying it. I'm not. I don't want to hear you got him for a 25th pick in the draft. I just don't. It just. I'd rather him stay here and be mad. (laughs) Trade, Trade him at the deadline. You know, give him a chance to 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 play and maybe build up some some trade value. It even and I'm not saying that that would necessarily happen. He's just still going to play his 15 minutes a game. But I would not just trade him for the 25th pick in the draft, not unless you feel like somebody fell to you that you really, really like. You know, that happened perfect, but don't just do that for a random pick, you know, for Trevor Keel's. Who you may never see ever again. Don't do that. Don't do that. I saw a, a trade floating around: Obi Toppin in three firsts for Zach Levine. I talked about Zach Levine. Depending if you don't tell me how you feel about that trade, unless you're talking about what protections are on those picks, because some of the Knicks picks and some of those protections. If those were the picks involved, that, that trade you make that trade. I don't care. I, I'm not gonna say I don't care about the salary, the salary aspects of Zach Levine, but you got to make that trade. Obviously, it wouldn't just be Obi Toppin. it would be you know Fournier, maybe Rose or something like that. Nothing, nothing else of value. But Obi Toppin and three protected first round picks for Zach Levine. I'm not saying that's what it would be, but if they were three unprotected picks, that's a whole different scenario. But three protected picks or one unprotected and two and two heavily protected picks not heavily but maybe top 10 somewhere around there I I feel like you have to do that deal if you like Zach Levine if you don't like Zach Levine then you just don't want him no matter what but that's probably the the bare minimum Zach Levine is gonna cost and I see a lot of you guys in general seeing these people traded that you wanted like KP and Bradley Beal For peanuts and and saying the Knicks are sleeping at the wheel, asleep at the wheel like these guys don't necessarily make the Knicks better. So why? Why would you be stressed? Same thing with Zach Levine. They don't necessarily make the Knicks better. Why would you? and, And Bradley Beal, let me explain this to you. He had a no trade clause. That means he only goes to where he wants to go to. He didn't want to come to New York. So now you want to move the goalpost and make it about Dolan and make it about Leon Rose and Tibbs. And that's why Bradley Beal won't come here. Okay, man, fine. Sure. But let's not sit around and act like Bradley Beal and all that money on his contracts is some big value. He's not. That's why he got traded for peanuts because that contract is out of this world. And Bradley Beal, Beal has injury history and has holes in his game that might keep a team that needs to depend on him more than a Phoenix team
1: would. Out of real contention, and KP, very very similar injury history. He's making thirty six million
0: dollars last year. His deal. I made an argument for KP. I can see KP being you know a sixth man for this team, and, and and being a nice option added to this team. But KP can't be the starting center in this team. The Knicks would get
1: torched. They would be great. They would be great offensive team if they played with a lot of pace and all of that kind of stuff but
0: did you see what boston traded to get kb they traded marcus smart
1: who's the marcus smart level player on the team that you willing to trade to get KP? huh who's that player and look at and look at what and look at what um
0: memphis Gave Washington in that deal. Tyus Jones, who's a very valuable point guard. Some people think he's a starter. At the very least, he's a top six player in your in your rotation
1: for a winning team. Who are you giving up? Memphis gave up two first-round picks in that deal. You guys, you guys want
0: these players, but you don't ever talk about who you want to trade to get them. KP is $36 million a year. He just opted into the final year of his contract. KP wants to get paid after this year. And you have no guarantees that he's going to even stay with you if you trade him. Boston don't have no guarantees. Maybe they got a handshake agreement. $36 million a year. That means you got to trade $36 million in contract to get him to begin with. And then where are you putting him in your rotation? And then understand that KP has failed with a championship contending team. They didn't want him anymore. Then went to another team that thought that they could tread, tread water with him and Bradley Beal failed there too all of these teams on paper were said to be more talented talented than the Knicks and he didn't win with them and no shade to KP I think he's a good player in the right situation but is this the right situation and if this is the right situation at 36 million dollars a year that's what you want to trade for with no guarantees moving forward and he might be injured and only play 50 games and as a starting center he has never shown himself to be a great defensive player you're going to put him at power forward so he can get torched by smaller power forwards? Like, what do you, at best, KP is exactly what he's going to be in Boston right now. You don't know what the final iteration of this team is going to be. But Boston has Al Horford on, I think, on maybe $10 million contract right now per year, which is good money for Al Horford and what he does. And I understand he dropped the ball a lot in the playoffs, but he's a two-way player, and we talked about that, and guys who were, Two way players have a value, especially one at the center position who can be as versatile as Al Horford. So I don't think that they're going to move Al Horford unless Al Horford's gonna retire or something. I don't know if they're gonna move Al Horford. They have him on a good deal.
1: They might move Robert Williams, who's also on a decent deal. But anyway you slice it, they're gonna have options to put
0: in the game. So that they don't have to depend on KP defensively. He's going to be on the floor a lot. $36 million a year. He's going to be on the floor a lot. But they won't have to depend on him on on both ends of the floor. The way the Knicks
1: would have to. You bring in KP and you say you're the starting center. You stuck. Boston doesn't have to do that. They got two guys that can put at the center position. If they need more defense. You put him at the power forward position. You stuck. If you're the Knicks. Because you don't have anybody else on the roster who can guard quick power forwards. Or power forwards who put the ball on the floor.
0: You got to rotate. When you have a power forward position, you got to rotate. You sit with Miami plays defense, Denver plays defense. You got to rotate
1: around the court. KP's not doing all that. And there's no guarantee that the Boston actually made a good move here
0: defensively. They might be losing too much. But they have backup
1: if KP is going to drop the ball defensively. They got backup. Nixon wouldn't have that. And they'd be sitting there
0: with $36 million with a handshake agreement to sign them through a long-term deal to be the starting center on a team that is desperate for great defensive play at the center position, as long as you have this coach. And you know what? With any coach, even Joker has gotten solid enough defensively to be suitable, more so than KP has. Not to mention the rebounding, KP has done a strong rebounder. You see how many rebounds Joker's getting? I mean, I don't want to com- necessarily compare and make a direct comparison to Joker, but Joker was not known as a defensive player, was not known as a, as a strong defensive anchor at the center position. I mean, he's a champion. And whatever he didn't do well, he was able to do it well enough to be a champion. And the fact that he's getting 15 rebounds, 20 rebounds, whatever he's doing every game, doesn't hurt. That's not the case with KP. He's not a force in the paint. He would be coming here to be the next starting center with Hartenstein as a backup. He would not be playing significant minutes at the power forward position unless the matchups dictated it. Unless Boston moves some of these guys, they have versatility across the front line. And there's no guarantee it's even going to work but they'd have two bigs that can stretch the floor at the center position in Horford and KP and, and one big in Horford that can actually play the power forward position interchangeable with Robert Williams. And if they can find a matchup where KP works at the power forward position, they can, they can go to that matchup as well and be perfectly fine in case it doesn't work out. They have other options. It's not the case with the Knicks. The Knicks would be making a $36 million investment this year into a guy that has injury history and it's going to make them a weaker team in what they do defensively to strengthen themselves offensively with no option for interior physicality. Like uh, we talked about the Knicks doing that with Cat, sacrificing some of the defense of Mitchell Robinson for the offensive, the superior offensive play of Cat. But Cat is also a physical player in the paint that he could score in the paint consistently if you if you needed to go to him down there. And in cat is not tremendous, but if you ask me, and I don't know what kind of defensive metrics you're going to look at to make a comparison, but cat is just a more versatile defensive player, I feel like, than than KP is. Again, there's a reason why cat would cost way more than KP would cost, is because he's a better player.
1: And if you're looking at KP like you know he's cheap, you can get him for a cheaper price, then you're not
0: considering all of the other factors. How much money he makes this year, and how much Boston actually had to pay to get him. So, yeah, I mean, I could have come up with a scenario where KP can work for the Knicks as a rotation player, but not the starting center. And at $36 million a year with a handshake agreement for an extension, at God knows how much money. I just don't know if that's the right play. But yeah, I can understand. You looking at some of these deals, especially the KP deal, not the Bo deal, and say oh, the Knicks could have got KP. They could have come up with something. I just don't think the Knicks are, and I'm not sure Boston is. I'm not sure how much better Boston is moving off of Marcus Smart. And you know, if you don't know what Marcus Smart does, shame on you. I'm not gonna go over it. But they can they can slide in Derek White and a broken Malcolm Brogdon, assuming he's gonna be healthy. And say, okay, you know, we had kind of a glut at these positions. We can find another backup guard, give White more minutes, give Brogdon more minutes, and be a good team now that we have KP. Sure. Absolutely. But it may not work with KP. But they're trying to win a championship. They're on the last leg of a championship run. You don't know what other moves they're going to make. You can see with the team, the way it is right now, what they did. They traded away a guy they could replace with a guy who's almost as good as he is in Derek White. And a brought More minutes for them. And you get another guard to, to fill in the blanks. Not to say it's easy to replace what Marcus Smart does, but those guys are good guards too. The Knicks would be giving up something that they couldn't replace. They don't have a glut at any position with a guy that – It's guaranteed to make him a championship team if he gets more minutes. I know some of you feel that that way about Obi Toppin, but stop it. There's nobody else who's being blocked. And if you feel that way about IQ, get over yourself. Stop it. Because you got Brunson. The best position for IQ is the point guard position. You're not moving off Brunson. IQ is not going to be a a 35-minute-a-night shooting guard. So stop. Okay? The fit for one team doesn't mean it's a good fit for one team doesn't mean it's a good fit for your team. And there's no guarantee that this is a good fit for them. I can see it, though. Who knows what they do next, but I can see him being a value to them because they have, because of the other players that they have. And they actually had a player that can slot in and play more minutes for Marcus Smart and do a lot of things that Marcus Smart does. So it it fits for them. It doesn't mean it fits for your team to stop. Silly. I will tell you this, though. I see this news coming over. Coming over Twitter right now that Paul George is available. We went through all of those players. Levine, KP, Cat, all of these guys. We talked about the pros and cons and none of them seem like a perfect fit. Not a single one of them. Paul George, perfect fit. He is literally the perfect player for the Knicks. He has the size. We talked about Donovan Mitchell being perfect, but just being a little too short. And I guess that's the,
1: the
0: opposite of perfect.
1: But being too short is a problem, but I would have been happy to get Donovan Mitchell at this point for this team. Paul George. Perfect. Injury history. We'll
0: live with it. We'll live with it because he's perfect. He's not Beal with injury history. He's not Levine with injury history. He's not KP with injury history. He's not Cat with a little if, ands, and buts about what he can bring to the table. Even though, you know, I'm not ignoring the pros of Cat at the center position, which I did a whole show on. He is tall, defense, three-level scorer, clutch player down the stretch. He is literally... Every single thing the Knicks need. Is he older? Yes.
1: He is everything the Knicks need for the next two, three seasons. Everything they need. Automatically, he is better than Levine. He is as good as Donovan Donovan
0: Mitchell. Some would say better offensively. He is better defensively than any of those players. Because of his defensive skills, his height, his length, etc. He is literally the perfect fit for what this team needs. We could talk about what you would give up for him. I'm not getting into it. Because literally, R.J. Barrett quickly... I'm not saying all these guys. I'm just saying whoever the player is, whoever the main guy in your rotation is that you have to give up, assuming, let's say it's two, let's say it's Obi Toppin and one of those guys, whoever that guy is... It's worth it. It's worth it. Because unlike Donovan Mitchell, he doesn't have the downside with him is injury, right? Anybody can get hurt. But unlike Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell is kind of small. So it's like, eh, I don't know. You don't want to give up all of this. And you might not still, you may not be a championship team. Paul George makes you a championship team. He makes you a championship team. Now, you can get into a debate about Paul George, Donovan Mitchell. Why would you give up the cookie jar for Paul George, not Donovan Mitchell? I just felt like they were asking too much for Donovan Mitchell. It doesn't mean I don't think he's a valuable player. I just think that Donovan Mitchell added to that team, subtracting the parts that you had to give up, didn't make you much better, and I think this season proved that. I'm doing it. You know why I'm doing it and why I would do it for Paul George and not Donovan Mitchell? 6-8. And, you know, these heights vary from person to person everywhere you go. They say, Paul George, 6'10", 6'8", 6'7", whatever. He's 6'8". 6'8", shooting guard who can actually have the ball in his hands, run high, screen, and roll, can have the ball at the end of the game, can score any way, three-level three score, and be a defensive player, and guard every position on the floor, can guard your Jason Tatums, can guard your Butler's. Butlers, can even guard a point
1: guard here and there. Makes you a bigger team. Come on now. Come on now. The perfect, the perfect deal for Paul
0: George, and I haven't obviously. I'm just seeing this news, so I'm not gonna. I may come up with something else. The, the perfect deal would be R.J. Barrett, and and being able to keep quickly in Grimes. That would be the perfect deal. I know you guys are R.J. R.J. Barrett lovers, but. Do you have any idea how good defensively this team would be if you had Paul George on the floor with Grimes or quickly at the shooting guard position? Do you have any idea how good this team would be defensively? Now, I can make a case for R.J. Barrett, Paul George, Randall. I can make that case now. To make that case. I still think the Knicks would need to make a change in the center position. Don't get me started on that again. But Paul George
1: is scoring with our... Mitchell Robinson jacks everything up or not? Ah, uh, listen, I don't know what the Knicks are gonna do.
0: I don't know if they can get him. I don't know if I am. Not, I am as giddy as a schoolgirl over the notion of Paul George being the answer. Skip Zach Levine. Skip Cat. Donovan's still a nice player, but he's there's no way the Knicks are getting him. It's pie in the sky. He has too many years left on his deal. He would really have to be jerking Cleveland around for Cleveland to trade him, and Cleveland's going to want to recoup everything they gave to to get him because he did not disappoint. And he still doesn't necessarily make the Knicks as good as Paul George would. He would make them as good seven years from now if he was still a Knick maybe. (laughs) But right now, championship windows are three years. Three, four years, and it really depends on the contracts of the guys you have. You want to maximize Brunson on this deal, Randall on this deal, and RJ on that deal. He might, call, he might have to go in that trade. You want to maximize that. You maximize that the next three years with Paul George. And I still think you got to do something at the center position. Not going to go into that right now. I still think there is 100% a, a honeypot at the end of the rainbow. If the Knicks had a center who can play defense and actually score outside of two feet, two feet
1: of front of the red. But bring Paul George in here and it's a whole nother animal.
0: Let's see. Is a tweet from Steve Popper right now. Paul George is really good and a good fit for the Knicks. uh, Depending on the cost. But 33 years old and the games played last four seasons. Games played last four seasons 56,
1: 31, 54, 48. Hey, I get it. You got three years of Paul George. That's it. But that's that. Those championship years. Those are championship years. And listen, injuries. I get it. Listen, fortune favors the bold. This is not. Zach Levine with his injury history With holes in his game
0: This is not Bradley Beal With injury histories and holes in his game This this is not even Donovan Mitchell Prime of his career But a little too small a pair With who you have
1: in the backcourt That's the only downside to it It's a a significant one But it's a downside This is 6'8 versatile three-level scorer all-league defensive player can play clutch down the stretch smart guy bright dude three years all in that's the way you got to play it that's the way you got to play it this is not about building for the future you got
0: a championship window of three years you don't give up the future when the championship window is not open that's been the case for the Knicks. It's open now. It's open. Thanks to Jalen Brunson. It is open. It's open. So you go for it now. You don't trade the future away for a guy that has too many holes in his game and doesn't necessarily make you better. Paul George makes you better. The only way Paul George doesn't make you better is if he is not on the floor. That wasn't the case for Bradley Beal. That wasn't the case for KP. I mean, make you better, literally true, but not good enough. So let's say not good enough. Not championship level. Bradley Beal doesn't make the Knicks championship level. You can say he makes it for other teams, but he doesn't make it for the Knicks. KP doesn't make the Knicks championship level. Cat at center, depending on what you give up, I can argue that
1: maybe it does. I don't like Cat. Paul George, championship level. Next two, th- next three years. I'm not going to not going short it. Three years, championship level. You worry about after that, after that. Sportsethos.com. Check it out. Every sport
0: covered at Sports Ethos on Twitter. At EthosNicks. Thanks for sticking with me. Long show. Summertime. A lot going on. Draft tonight. Knicks don't have a pick, so I'm not stressing it. I see people talking about the Knicks should try to get them a second round draft pick. Knicks had a bunch of second-round draft picks that have potential that just don't play. So so we just cutting second-round draft picks from previous drafts to go get another second-round draft pick. I don't see the point. Tell me that there's a, a steal in the second round, sure. But we got Trevor, Trevor Keels here. We had a number of second-round draft picks that had potential. And we didn't have to see him. Jericho Sims is on the roster, sure, and there's potential there. Yeah, great. People say we see this potential with Trevor Keels. Okay, great. We got guys from the – you know, we got Jeffries from the G League that – you know, they they gave a contract to we had there there are guys on the team the Knicks have that are second round picks or or the equivalent to that aren't going to see the floor, who are not going to be a part of the rotation, obviously. So why would you add somebody else just to cut one of these guys? It, it better be a really good player. You, you guys, it's like you have to put it all together. You gotta apply these things practically. Anyway, follow at Ethos Until next time.